the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. At yesterday's wedding here in the church, the congregation came through beautifully on what is one of my favorite parts of the wedding ceremony. At the section near the beginning of a prayer book wedding called the Declaration of Consent, the bride and the groom make promises to each other. They each say, I will. This is where the language of love, comfort, honor, keep in sickness and health comes in. But then in the prayer book liturgy, the officiant asks the whole congregation, will all of you witnessing these promises do all in your power to uphold these two persons in their marriage? And the congregation says, we will. Whenever there's a rehearsal, I always coach the the wedding party that they should really shout that out. I want it loud. I have done a wedding or two where the response, we will, was a little wimpy. And so I said, let's do that again. Will you? And then they are a little better with, we will. Um, It's an important thing. If it sounds familiar, it's because we do a very similar thing at every baptism. Just last Sunday, we asked those same questions of the congregations. Do you support these being baptized in their life in Christ? And again, you'll remember I often say, please thunder forth, we will. It's why the the church has kind of changed its thinking around baptism as a sacramental rite. Uh, We're we're not very happy about doing private baptisms sort of off in a living room here or there. Um, That used to be the case, but the theology of the church has brought us to this place where the congregation's we will is central to what baptism means. It means that the parent or the parents are not in this alone. They've got a room full of godparents. They've got um, a world full of godparents. That's what baptism means. That God and the church always have your back. The same thing in a marriage. What I love about those words, we will, is they incarnate a witness, Uh, We have official witnesses for a marriage, but really the whole room are witnesses, bearing witness, saying, we see this, we support this, we celebrate this. Often in a homily, I'll I'll remind the couple to, to remember all the people in the room and all the people they recognize, because these are the folks who support them into the future when times are rough, when things are tricky. We will is a way of bearing witness. The Greek word for witness is martus, or in English, martyr. And a martyr is simply that, someone who bears witness. Um, Often in the church, we tend to think of a martyr as someone who has borne witness and then died for their faith. Certainly that is a sort of martyr underscored. Uh, Many of the people in our windows and in church history are those sorts of martyrs. But just as much anyone who has ever spoken up for the love of God, the light of Christ, whether they've been killed for it or shunned for it or ignored for it, is a martyr, is a witness is someone who has taken the courage, taken the time, taken the faith to bear witness. Today's scriptures are not the cheeriest. (laughs) 
Cleve picked up on this with his little interlude as it sounded a little foreboding. Uh, They speak of difficulty and demand, but the scriptures also point us to places of deep and abiding faith. The Old Testament lesson, that first reading we heard, is is kind of a snapshot of the Old Testament prophet Amos. Amos has the really hard job of speaking out against power, in his case against King Jeroboam. The king has his own priest sort of mount a counterattack. And so they basically put out the word that Amos is spreading um, fake prophecy, if you will. And so the king and his own religious power structure organize themselves over and against the prophet and Amos. Go and preach and prophesy somewhere else, they tell Amos. But Amos basically says, look, I'm not in this for myself. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm no threat to you. I'm just a dresser of sycamore trees. Or to update the language, I'm just a migrant farm worker. That's what Amos was. No formal education, someone who went to where the crops were good and and tried to make the money he could. But God spoke to Amos. And God put God's word on Amos's lips and said, go and prophesy and speak the truth. And that's what Amos did. Amos reminds us that being a witness to truth is never easy. It's never easy personally, professionally, or publicly. Of course, the example from our gospel underscores this in no uncertain terms in the the famous story of the beheading of John the Baptist, made even more famous in the theater by Oscar Wilde and in the opera by Richard Strauss. John the Baptist did speak the truth. And we have this awful story that's all too current, isn't it? Um, A ruler who, in order to save face, makes a stupid split-second decision that costs lives. Don't let anyone ever tell you scripture isn't up to date. And he does it for his daughter's sake. Just as in our world there's a cost to speaking the truth, so often a cost that might mean losing a job or losing a reputation or losing a friend or losing retirement or losing social standing, we as people of faith are called to speak truth. With King Herod and John the Baptist, power prevails in the short run. But that's the important thing for us to remember, always and everywhere. Power appears to win, but they only have the advantage for now. That extraordinary letter to the Ephesians gives an eye into God's long-run plan. God plays a long game. God has a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. That's an enormous plan. It means that Christ is in everything and everything will find its completion in Christ. There was a book in the cloister this morning by Teilhard de Chardin. This is what Chardin points to. Everything ends in the fullness of God's vision of Christ. Today's the feast day for St. Bonaventure. Bonaventure does the same thing and talks of God's fountain fullness and overflowing, a, a gushing of love. But everything ends up there in the heart and the love of God. Everything and everyone 
will be redeemed, will be perfected, will be brought to completion in God's good love. That sort of hope doesn't allow us to rest content with the injustice in this world, somehow assuring ourselves that life will be better in the next. That's not the point at all. Instead, hope in God, faith in God's future, compels us to live forward, to live openly into the light. It's that hope in which we live, that, that hope that in which we point, that hope we hope to bear witness to. We do this in mighty ways. We do this in public ways. We do this in physical ways. Some show up at protests. Some write letters. Some mount campaigns. Um, Others pray deeply and, and even harder than ever. Others speak up in a family. Others dare to say a word that might differ from the current conversation. Sometimes loudly, sometimes quietly, we all of us are called to bear witness to the truth. I have a cousin who lives in Florida who in some ways is an unlikely witness. He lives in a small town somewhere between Tampa and Orlando. I've been there before, but I'm not sure I could get there easily without a map. We were talking on the phone about a month or so ago, and I asked him how things are in his community. And he laughed, and he talks really slowly and very southernly. And he said, well, things are okay, but I think I need a new barber. (laughs) Knowing there was probably a good story in it, I bit, and I said, "Um, oh, you need a new barber? And then off he went. It turns out the previous Saturday he went for a haircut at a place where there are men and women and barbers and stylists all in, in one place. And he had, he'd overheard the woman in the next chair talking a lot through her styling, and she had a lot of opinions. And he had not said anything, and he had sort of minded his own business and done a little bit of small talk with his barber. But at one point, the lady's haircut was just about done, and she was uh, raising her voice, and she said to her stylist, they're just everywhere, those people, and I'm afraid to even go out in my backyard for fear of a Muslim terrorist across the fence. My cousin heard that, and he said something. He sort of entered into this other conversation, and he said, you know, in his very southern accent, you know, if you look at history, everybody's done their fair share of violence and terrorism. Whether you're a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu, people are people. And most people are pretty good, but some are really bad. But you can't just judge them all by the bad ones. You can't judge all Muslims by what you might read or hear in the news. My cousin says his barber stopped cutting his hair for a moment or two and then started back, it seemed, a little more quickly. The woman next to him got red in the face and didn't say another word, but finished her hairdo and left. The person styling the hair in the next chair over walked out as well and had a smoke on the other side of the windows. Several of the people sitting and waiting followed her out and had a conversation outside. So my cousin felt like it was about him. It was about what he'd said, and yet he felt all the more he should have said it. And if anything, felt like he might have 
he might should have jumped into that conversation a little earlier. So as he told me the story, I was uh, sort of laughing along with him and encouraging him and saying, you know, well done, well done. Um, I might preach that one day. Um, And then he said, well, you know, come to think of it, I think I will go straight back to that barber. (laughs) And I'm going to keep going back, he said. We're called to bear witness to truth and to the love of God, whether it's at the barbershop or the grocery store or the debating hall or the ballot box. Sometimes it means saying a polite no thank you at work, at social situations, or somewhere else. Sometimes it means standing up and speaking out and shouting on occasion. Bearing witness always and everywhere is rooted in prayer. Prayer that God would would reveal God's truth to each of us and to the world. Prayer that faithful people everywhere might be strengthened And prayer that God's reign would embold and embrace all. Never ever forgetting that in the end of endings, God redeems everyone and everything. Everything is made right. The collect for the day, the prayer we began our worship with, asks that God might grant that we may know and understand what things we ought to do, and also that we might have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. And so with the witnesses of every age, the saints and the martyrs, the mothers, the fathers, the sophisticated and the plain spoken, may we have the courage and faith always to bear witness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.